This is Barry from Watford, and you are listening to Joe at the Fringe. Thank you. Welcome to day two of Joe at the Fringe. We are here, myself, Simon Clancy and Noz Chowdhury, uh, scouting for talent, looking at as many shows as we can. I think we're doing sort of into the 60s through our duration here. We're also providing you with a, with a beautiful podcast, dear listener. Uh, this is episode two. Uh, and on today's show, we will look at what makes a good comedian, what separates a good comedian from, you know, the wheat from the chaff, I suppose, is what we're looking at. We'll also look at some of the uh, highs and the lows that we've seen over the last 24 hours. And uh, there'll be an interview with the up-and-coming uh, Irish comedian, Catherine Bohart, who I went to see yesterday. And she talks quite a lot about uh, some of the unusual circumstances that happened during the particular show that I attended. Anyway, Noz is here. Morning. All right, how's it going? I'm quite... Uh... I'm hoping that as the days go on, I'll, I'll get deeper and a little bit more masculine sounding. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a bonus. Unlikely, frankly, but <laughs> like a good murder mystery, we've now moved to the drawing room. Yesterday, we were in the kitchen. This is now the more salubrious, uh, relaxing area of our uh, of our Edinburgh yeah. property. Happy? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd call it a bachelor pad, isn't it? Um, I suppose so. I hadn't thought of it like that. I'm, I mean, like, we, we've not had any sort of uh, visitors, but I do feel like there's potential there for, like, if there was more interesting people living here. I'm edging my way to the end of the sofa <laughs> or slightly further away from you. Yeah, um, <laughs> anyway, how's your fringe been? 48 hours in, we've seen a lot of shows, we've done an awful lot of walking. I think we both finished about quarter three in the morning or something with writing last night. We sat in the Pleasance Courtyard sort of at midnight, typing away some of our, I want to say reviews, but they're not reviews because we're not reviewers. But um, you can read them on the Joe website, joe.co.uk. We've already put out quite a lot of material, so please find that there. But how are you finding it? Finding it good. Um, I don't know about you, but um, like yesterday, first day, I was a bit shattered at the end of the day, both physically and and sort of like uh, my brain sort of like going to see all these shows. But like second day, it got into rhythm a bit more. Have you found that? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I had a good day yesterday, actually. There was much more wheat than there was chaff, which was good. Uh, and I actually saw back-to-back-to-back really, really good shows, all for very different reasons, all for different kind of quality of performance and of performer, in a way, in terms of kind of veterans to rookies, if you, if you will. But, yeah, I thought yesterday was a really strong day, so kind of uh, hope springs eternal for today because it it's kind of seems like it's an easy thing to go and, oh, we're just going to go and watch a comedy show and I'm going to watch another comedy But there's, there's a bit of a sensory overload. You, you almost get laughed out at times, don't you? Yeah, there is. From my personal experience, I tend to find that if I'm not watching acts that are all very similar, it totally breaks up because the, the more variation you see, the more interesting sort of... Uh, just a bit sort of more alive feel sort of watching them all just because it's 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 a little bit like if you're watching horror film after horror film after horror film it would uh drain you out but if you're breaking it up with different styles and different uh types of comedian that really helps i think any themes emerging for you this year we talked a little bit about, about everything that we kind of seen yesterday apart from donald trump which again didn't emerge at all one sort of uh topic that's come up a few times is the whole idea of like free speech and especially because um just in the news today you've had ron atkinson defending boris johnson about uh oh it's a joke and he should be able to joke about whatever he likes but um it's not a fucking joke no it's not a fucking joke and and it's interesting how fucking white middle-class men who it doesn't who the joke doesn't affect seem to think it's fine there's a reason mr bean was silent <laughs> yeah there is um two of the comedians that that i've been to see so far have made the point that uh 
just because you've got free speech doesn't mean that uh, you've got to be a prick doing it. And uh, I think it was actually Bethany Black who said that the likes of uh, Count Duckula, or whatever his, Count, it's not Count Duckula, that's a cartoon, <laughs> uh, Count Dacula and, uh, and, and people like Tommy Robinson, they're not the sort of, uh, they're not the grand sort of purveyors of sort of free speech. They're almost the cost we have to pay to have free yeah. speech. I mean, just because... Just because we can say something doesn't mean to say we actually should say something, right? Exactly, and 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 the, and the thing is, like, there's a way of using any topic you like, and it can be funny, but it's it's partly about who's the sort of a uh, sort of subject of the joke and who's the punchline. But it's it's also about um, it's also about not being a knobhead because there seems to be an issue of like where somebody will purposely be a knobhead and use free speech to do that. And then get upset that they're being called an op-head. If you're going to act like that, then you're going to get criticism. And the criticism is free speech as well, so deal with it. I think Count Duckula would be a far better, you know, arbiter of (laughs) what's right than Count Dankula. Anyway, we digress a little bit. Let's, um, we will talk later on about the stuff that we're going to see today but let's kick off with some of the stuff that you saw yesterday what you liked what you didn't like a little kind of not review review section yeah well i mean i mean just to quickly run through them went to see ross smith i think it was covered in a lot of the press where he went on a holiday with strangers because they had a ticket with the same name as him and i don't know if i was expecting sort of it to be a little bit laddie but it wasn't anything like that and and it wasn't uh, it wasn't really a gimmick either it was just a really funny show and he's a he's a really charming sort of unassuming sort of uh he's got that kind of attitude on stage and he was really good first male comedian you've seen wasn't he, it? he was and then it was followed by another male comedian wow look at you <laughs> I know. it was i hear and he was incredible and it was funny cuz like before the before the gig I saw him sort of wandering around getting everything set up and he, he sort of seemed really sort of meek and mild and sort of like really, really polite to everyone. And as soon as he went on stage, it was sort of like he just transformed. It's like a, a, a switch of inflicts and like he was all action. It was, uh, his whole show was basically him shouting out things in, in quite a bombastic way, but in a brilliant way. And, and it, it covered so many topics from re- religion to nationalism to the existential angst that we all feel. It was it was really, really good. It, it, th- that was possibly one of the best things I've seen so far. Oh, interesting, interesting. And then and at this point, it's kind of only sort of early afternoon, really, isn't it? Because we're trying yeah. to rattle through, both of us, if you don't know, trying to rattle through sort of five, six, seven shows per day, which is, um, oh, you're going to see comedy. That's That must be a lot. But, it, you know, and Edinburgh is a big city and everything's not always in the same place either, is it? But also, like, if we came here just sort of like kind of... And a lad's... Jolly. <laughs> yeah. And so I went to shows with that mindset. It would be ace because you just go and you just enjoy it. But, like, there is a part of you that sort of goes and you've got to sort of think about sort of what is good and what isn't. And, and also... Um, you feel a little bit of a responsibility to the people you're going to go and see because the thing is, like, all the comedians, like, uh, are desperate sort of uh, for their shows to be seen and uh, and even if they're great shows competing against uh, so many other things, like, it's, it's hard to get people in. So if uh, Si and I are going to go and see people, you kind of feel that, well, if it's good, you want to get the word out there and you want to, you want to explain properly why and you can't just say, oh, that was ace. You've got to explain what sets it apart from other stuff. Because if, if people have gone to the trouble of, of sort of spending months to sort of craft this show, the least we can do is give it the respect of sort of like looking at it properly and explaining why it's great. Yeah, if you didn't hear episode one, we essentially created some sort of rules for ourselves. We're not reviewers. We uh, I, I don't feel that we should sit there in, in judgment, especially judging people's shows that aren't particularly good. So what we're, we're trying to do is remove the names of the people we didn't like. But for me yesterday, there will be no name removal. I'm not sure about you. No, no, everything I thought was great. So after, after your first two, where did you end up next? 
Then I went to see Bethany Black. She was great. Um, again, she's great on uh, Twitter in terms of sort of looking at sort of social things going on and sort of calling stuff out. That's that's sort of not on. And uh, her show was very much of that theme. Um, and uh, she made some great points about free speech, about tolerance and things. And, and in fact, she kind of uh, took the piss out of herself a bit about sort of being a lefty and everything and uh, made the point about sort of people saying oh you can't you can't make a joke about that and then at the end she said i don't know if you noticed but i made a joke about pedophilia i made a joke about islam made a joke about this made a joke about that and it wasn't cruel and it was very cleverly sort of interlaced and there is a way of making jokes about everything without it being nasty i've not really heard any cruelty in jokes there was one specific example if there's a line in the sand this was kind of i, I wasn't offended by it but i could see that people were but it was the first time i'd seen a or heard a cruel joke given in 13 shows over 48 hours. It, it, it's interesting to see that there's much more subtlety, I think, in humour than perhaps in Fringe's past, certainly in the shows I've seen so far. Would you agree? Yeah, and, and, and also, like, if you're going to be really crass about it and you're going to sort of sledgehammer a punchline that's sort of uh, dealing with a sensitive subject in a really sort of obtuse way, then I think that kind of points to the fact that you're not very good. There's a lot more nuance in comedy. There, yeah. there has to be nuance in if comedy you, these well, days. Well, if, you, if you're good, do you know what I mean? If, if you've got the talent to do it in a clever, subtle, cutting way, then that's great. But I don't think there's any sort of uh, coincidence that some of the most sort of uh, offensive and nasty comedians are the least talented, especially like bald ones that used to be on sports quiz shows. <laughs> We'll leave that there. You are listening to Joe at the Fringe with Simon Clancy and Noz Chowdhury. Don't forget, you can also download other Joe audio offerings, Unfiltered with James O'Brien and Boys Don't Cry with Russell Kane, are both available from wherever you get your podcast. This is episode two of Joe at the Fringe. If you didn't download yesterday's, then where were you? Lots of good stuff in there, including an interview we did with uh, Alex Lowe, uh, one half of Angelos and Barry. And coming up later on, we will speak to Catherine Bohart, who was performing at the Pleasance Bunker 2. But uh, after Bethany, where did you end up? Then I went to see Sarah Keyworth, um, who was great. Look at your back on women again. Back on women, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, she, 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 was, she was really, really good. Uh, I, I tend to find that sort of, I thought I'd come here sort of scrambling to find, like, the, the best shows, but it's more a case of scrambling to find somewhere that's cool and somewhere that's got Wi-Fi. It's raining today, actually, which yeah. is... Um, but, th- but that's the thing, isn't it? Like, like, you don't know how to dress. It's cold and rainy outside, and then it's sort of, like, boiling inside. So what do you do? <laughs> It's kind of shorts, but with a kind of a thick jacket. <laughs> Sorry, I really interrupted. Yeah. No, no, um, and, and then, I mean, the, the last two sort of shows I went to see were Adam Rowe and Rachel Fairburn, and uh, they were both brilliant for different reasons. Um, I mean, first of all, kind of reason why I mentioned together, there is, like, I don't know if it's because of the cost of the fringe or what, but there's a lot of sort of middle-class sort of comedians, and that's fine, like, middle-class people can be funny too. But, like, it's just really great to sort of, like, Adam's from Liverpool, Rachel's from Manchester, and it's just great to sort of hear some sort of working-class talent here as well. And both of them were ace. Um, Adam Rowe, I mean, he's just naturally funny, but also, like, he's he's got, like, a really interesting spin on... Uh, and again, like, as soon as you say, oh, he, he sort of looks at sort of PC Gone Mad sort of, like, uh, phenomenon, for the lack of a better word, and you, and you kind of think, oh, no, he's going to be sort of right wing or everything, but he's not. He talks about, like, imperfections and we're all imperfect and we've all got, like, um, we've all got natural prejudices that we've got to overcome and, and he talks about overcoming his and it's it's really, really good. He's going to be a star, like, he's going to do arenas and stuff, like, and Rachel was amazing. Um, 
Rachel Fairburn, uh, the show starts off with, with like, she's really, she's got a really good line in sort of like caustic, sort of acerbic wit and sort of like brilliant put downs and sort of, uh, that's amazing. But then as the show goes on, it's got like a really emotional weight to it about when you realise that she's talking about like one of the worst years she's had in life and how she dealt with it and how she, how she lost a sort of a friendship group and everything. And uh, I won't spoil it, but there's one recording in it, which is like, it's definitely the most gut-wrenching moment moment I've, I've experienced so far. And I think you genuinely struggle to find anything at the fringe that's as sort of a heartbreaking as what you hear there. But I mean, having said, having said that, it's, it's really funny and it, and it sort of ends triumphant. But yeah, that was that, as a final show, that that really sort of was really, really powerful. I just want to pick up on something you said about Adam Rowe, because when we were walking back last night, you um you talked about how he had discussed the fact that he used to be be racist, I suppose, or he used to have sort of racist views. How do you countenance that being in there as a, as a Muslim man? What did you, was that uncomfortable for you at times? Or, you know, when somebody's talking about that and does that feel uncomfortable at any point? It doesn't at all because of the way he tackled it. And, and, and just to sort of like stress, like when he says, he, when he admits like, oh, I was, I was racist in the past, he doesn't mean that he did anything. He wasn't the EDL. Or... No, no, he didn't do anything nasty to anyone. He, he didn't actually sort of action any sort of prejudice, but he just saying like, like at school. When you're a kid, like you do have these prejudices and you, you do use certain words and phrases without fully realising the full weight of them. I'm from sort of North Manchester and like, like uh, from working class background and so is he. And I know, to- I, I know exactly what he means. Like, like I, I use words and stuff that I shouldn't have, but um, you grow and you learn and you meet more people and, and you change. And, and that's what his show is about. But like he even discussed the topic about sort of being home, uh, about being homophobic and about being a... Uh, Islamophobic in the language he used and 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 in his certain attitudes he had about sort of not being sure about people and I think it, I think in its own way that's that's revolutionary and so brave to sort of like discuss that in a really honest way but then say but as you grow older as you meet more people you realise that it's all bollocks and, and and I think the whole sort of audience were with him on that it was it was really really powerful I mean one thing that you mentioned about Adam uh, chimed with what I experienced with this show is you were saying you actually saw him sort of firing. Yeah, I was walking from the Pleasance towards Reginald D. Hunter's show, which is about two miles, I suppose, uh, through the city centre, past the castle. And all of a sudden, he was just there on the street, big pile of flyers. There was probably 20 minutes to go before the show, and it was the show that you were in, actually. I stopped to talk to him because I know, know him a little bit. He did Boys Don't Cry. And obviously, you know him very well because he's doing the video series, which you can see as part of our uh, Edinburgh um, offering to you. But, yeah, there he was, and he was kind of keyed up and excited and sort of in the zone, I suppose. But it was odd to see uh, such a high-level talent stood on the on Cowgate handing out handing out flyers. Yeah, I mean, I mean, part of his show he talks about, he knows he's got certain disadvantages as, as compared to other comedians with whatever resources and backgrounds that they may, may have. So how he's going to counter that is work doubly hard and be the hardest working comedian that's out there. And again, that's really commendable. And, it, and, it sh- and, it, and I think it's born from a working class mentality of like, I've got to prove myself and I've not got other stuff to fall back on. So I'm going to really push for this. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Who's the best you've seen in 48 hours? What's the best show? What's the show you've enjoyed most? That's a tough one. I mean, they're so good in so many different ways. Uh, I'd possibly say Ahesha, just because the others were really, really good, but, like, he was pretty unique in the way that he delivered stuff and the range of stuff he discussed. It was really sort of intellectual and really sort of... uh, 
it spanned so many different subjects, but he did it in a way that sort of obviously was funny. And, and he found, he even found sort of humour in people having dementia and people in his family not, not recognising him, stuff like that. So I thought, I thought he was amazing. Here's a question for you. Do you think that the amount that you laugh in a show means that that is the best show or is it something that you don't particularly laugh a lot at but you're sat there with a smile on your face the entire time and it resonates more with you what how would you weigh what's a better in inverted commas show more laughter or or more resonance i mean obviously i'm I'm no comedy expert but why are you on the podcast ex- because, <laughs> because because i am an everyman <laughs> but um i think it's the case of if you're going to go and see a circuit comedian do their 15 minutes at the comedy store at the Frog and Bucket or whatever, then the onus is on be funner, come out with jokes, make people laugh, and they'll go home happy. I think for a show, it's got to be more than that. I think I think it's got to be a cohesive uh, piece of art, and it's got to like have a a theme, a story. It's the things that have had the most emotional punch and sort of like have made you think have been elevated beyond other things because they are saying something like on some level that is profound but also making you laugh and i think the ability to find humor in those subjects sets the best comedians apart because it's humor of a theme and i I think that's that's a massive talent i think i think a show is different and our show is different from like a, a comedy set like at a club I started off yesterday with Will Hall, which was in a something akin to a, a small chapel. I spoke to Will afterwards, and we'll play some of that over the next couple of days, which was an interesting show. It was, if I'm going to be honest, it wasn't the best show I've seen at Edinburgh, but it was packed, it was sold out, and the audience seemed to very much enjoy it. And the interesting thing about Will was that he'd only started being a stand-up in the last sort of 18 months. So to have a, you know, a fully formed Edinburgh show, and especially one that... He's not Tim Vine in terms of the rapidity of of his gags, but there is a lot of jokes to pack in in 55 minutes, which is quite interesting. Um, and then I, I, I was lucky enough to see three back-to-back-to-back shows of the very highest quality. I started with, with Catherine Bohart, Irish comedian, who essentially came on stage to talk about the fact that she has OCD, she's bisexual, and her father is a, a Catholic deacon. And as you can imagine, quite a lot of interesting sort of familial tripfalls happened from that point. What happened immediately once her show started was that a couple, in fact, two couples came in late and they offered up quite an interesting excuse. And after the show, I spoke to Catherine and we started about A, how the show had been and B, just what exactly happened with the latecomers. It was a weird one. Yeah, it was a weird one. We had a lot of noise blade and a lot of the latecomers were interesting. I've never had anyone um, tell me that the reason they were late for my show is because they were finishing their soup. She was so un- unapologetic, wasn't she? She was. She, I thought she was really going to have a go at you. I know. She was like, um, it was hot. I wasn't going to put it in my mouth. And I was like, babe, I wasn't expecting you to, but also like maybe order earlier. Jeez. She was intense about the soup. Or just, you know, leave it because it's only soup, right? Yes. Also that. Or maybe just like acknowledge that that might be a terrible reason to be late to a show when you've come in in the middle of something and then go huh perhaps i should say sorry we we got we got delayed so sorry but she was like uh duh it's soup time it was the hill (laughs) it was a hill she chose to die on when it came to you know i mean really and i'd have chosen something i mean beef or anything a sunday roast or fish and chips but soup 
Yeah, she went in. She was pretty adamant as well that like she was in the right, but uh, I had fun playing with her, so it was fine. How <laughs> is it? It's hard to complain about those things when they're like actually quite useful. So I was going to say, how useful are those things? Because I always find that not the mark of a comedian, obviously, but it's very interesting to see how people deal with those sorts of things that you don't the, the unexpected essentially and the way that you dealt with it was really good I mean I'm not just saying that but, you know you dealt with it really well but how Thanks. how much of a vehicle can you make out of those sorts of things well I tend to enjoy those things especially at the fringe when you're doing the same show every single day and you're like ooh a new element I'd, I'd love to change it up for you that sounds great and also I think my persona on stage lets me have a go and a nudge and a, and a dig I think if you're a nicer guy on stage maybe it would be harder to be like um, playful with this but I think you have to make the most of it it's only frustrating when you have like 10 minutes and you're maybe trying to impress somebody who's in to watch you and you're like I don't usually do this much stuff about soup I'm not the soup girl uh, but today it was totally fine how's your fringe experience been so far really nice I feel a bit spoiled like it's been lovely though it's been dry I'm staying in a nice house I've had a nice reception people have been coming every day I don't I've know never heard is. fringes this <laughs> good I mean <laughs> I mean I'm waiting for the butt I'm sure it'll all go terribly. you must have an amazing agent they are very good at what they do, to be fair. Actually, I'm very, very lucky. But uh, yeah, the machine is working. And uh, I think also I've been very dull. So I've like gone to bed early. I've allowed time for a cry in the bath if I need it. And I've just gone to bed. You're really not getting what the fringe is all about. No, I've absolutely not. I mean, don't worry. Come week three, I'm sure I'll be the husk of a person and be like, I should have just kept going to bed early. But in, no, right now I'm all right. Is this your, and excuse me for not knowing, is it your first fringe? Second, okay. It's my first hour. It's my fourth fringe. Okay. But yeah, so it's my first big boy show. In terms of a show like that, how long does it take to put together, for people listening that don't know how you put a comedy show together, how, how does that work? I suppose it depends on which comic you talk to. I'm quite a meticulous human. You have OCD. So. I know. <laughs> it's like I got a question in an interview the other day that was like, uh, they're trying to settle some debate on comics and they were like, do you have tidy drawers? And I was like... I don't know how to answer that question. I mean, yeah, I'm not an animal. What's your question? I don't understand. Um, so, yeah, I'm quite meticulous. And you obviously have to road test a lot of stuff. So you write a lot that you end up having to throw away because either it doesn't serve the story, because mine's quite storytelling, or um, it's just not as good as you thought it was when you came up with it. Who do you road test it to? I mean, do you stand in front of the mirror and do it? Do you want to find yourself wandering around Tesco, kind of performing the show? Do you do it in front of friends? You probably don't do it in front of your mum and dad, given... <laughs> None of the above. None of the above. You have to just be brave and go do it on stage and then see... I mean, obviously not at, like, a high-risk gig, but, yeah, you have to just go out and try it in gigs and see how you do. You're... I mean, again, it won't give too much away, but your father is a Catholic deacon. Yes. Um, and you sort of gently rib him a little bit through the show. How easy or difficult is that? I mean, do you have to go and explain that to him or, you know, does he come and see the show and he sits there feeling very uncomfortable? I mean, how do you countenance the sort of the familial stuff where you're sort of gently poking fun at members of your family to get laughs for your for yourself how do you deal with the fact that you're kind of a rude bitch um well uh no do you know something first of all i think i tend to prod at the church more than i tend to prod at my dad uh, i think i think he comes out really well from the show i like to think he does you're like no, you're like okay good you're looking at me he like does. really he no he does <laughs> really? and he's the hero of the Not show the i think <laughs> and um 
And so that helps a lot. But yeah, we talk about it because if I'm not willing to say it to him, then I wouldn't be willing to say it on stage. And also, like, I think people, you know, with comedy, a lot of it's based in truth, but obviously it's also a caricature. And I think he can divorce himself from it quite reasonably. Yeah. I went to see Will Hall this morning and he, uh, there was a couple of jokes that he told about his parents and he said, my mum and dad are coming on the, like, the 11th of the month. I'm going to have to take them out. <laughs> You'd probably have about six minutes left if there was... <laughs> I would have no show. <laughs> I would have zero show left at all. I, I'm trying to think if I'd have... Nope, nothing. nothing. Um, no, but they... It's, to be honest, it's their own fault. That's what they get for being so funny. It's not my fault. Do you get nervous? Hell yes. Do you? I get so nervous. I get, like, sick nervous. So, before you started today, we... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I get really, really nervous. I don't really understand how people don't. It's like, one... I mean... If it goes tits up an hour is a long time to die, man. It's so long. And also, like, people have bought a ticket, and probably more than that, they might have paid for, you know, accommodation here or flights or a babysitter, and I want them to have a nice time. Soup lady's not always going to be there either, is she? Listen, she, I mean, I mean, I don't mind about her. <laughs> Frankly, she wasted her own time. <laughs> but, um, but, like, yeah, there's not always going to be that there. So, yeah, I absolutely get nervous. I think... Maybe if you're going long enough, you not get numb to it. But I think it must take a hell of a person not to be anxious about standing up in front of people and saying, here's a thing I thought I had the audacity to think was funny enough that I should repeat it to you and everyone else who comes to this fringe. That takes some... And hope that you find it funny. Yeah. <laughs> and assume that you will. And then leave a pause for you, yeah. me to check. For you, yeah. <laughs> for you to laugh. Yeah. Or otherwise. Yeah. 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 At what point during your hour do you know that the nerves have gone because you know that it's it's all going to be all right. do, you, do you know what I mean like if you're writing a, an article and you feel like you've broken the back of it do you know what I'm trying yeah. to say in terms of at what point in is it 10 minutes and you know that I've got this gag and okay everybody's just laughed and I've got them kind of eating out of my hand now and it's fine is there a point where you think it's all going to be alright Oh, it depends on the gig. Because, like, it? sometimes you can get up and they'll laugh at the first gag and you think, oh, you guys are nice. <laughs> You're easy, great. And then there's other days where, you know, sometimes you don't even feel like you had a, you had them at all. And then they'll come out at the end and say, that was so great. And you think, tell your face. Um, or they'll leave and you'll never know. So it depends on the day. But I do think with this particular show, I've started with the harder stuff, with the um, more, the, the stuff that makes people maybe slightly more uneasy. And then I know there's the softer bit in the middle that's coming to kind of, that's more accessible maybe. And I probably did that, do that on purpose just to, you know, give them something to be relieved at. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Nice speaking to you. You too. That was Catherine Bohart. She is on at 4.15 at Bunker 2 at The Pleasance every day. It is a very, very, very good show. I enjoyed it hugely. She was funny, as you can tell afterwards. She, um was very open with me in terms of how her show worked, but uh, just a really, really strong performance. And as we talked about in the interview, her first full hour show. So to have that kind of resonance and to have that kind of ability to deal with quite difficult subjects, the Catholic Church and those sorts of things, and she does really dig out the church. The show is somebody that you'd feel like she'd been at the fringe for a very long time, not for, not for one year, essentially. I mean, just in general, are you seeing a lot of interaction with the audience or not? Huge amount. I don't think I've been to a show where there's not been a decent, either accidentally or otherwise. I think it's kind of split half and half. The only two that I haven't had any interaction have been Andrew Maxwell and Reginald D. Hunter. The two titans that I've seen, there's been nothing. So they, you know, much bigger stages. I think Andrew Maxwell probably had 350, 400 at his gig last night, uh, two nights ago. 
there must have been five, six hundred at Reginald D. Hunters, and it was just straight stand-up, no. But everybody else I've seen has been, either accidentally or otherwise, there's been interaction with the audience, uh, which has been quite interesting. You, have you seen the same sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean even, uh, like, Adam Rose's venue was quite big, but he sort of, like, obviously had a bit of a chat with the uh, people at the front. But um, that shows a bit of uh, an added skill of the comedian, but whether, whether they're able... Because, like, cause, like, you were saying that uh, she dealt with it in, in a brilliant way and it became part of the show, but, like... Uh, I suppose it's hard, isn't it? Because you because you've appeared an hour set and you've got these points to hit, but then you also want to sort of bring people in. And, and I suppose it. I suppose part of the trick is sort of like how, how much do you carry on chatting to them and how, how when do you sort of pull back? You talk there about hitting points. Andrew Maxwell had a flashing light. I sat in the back row, where the uh, the lighting and the the technical people sit. Clearly, at twenty minute points, or maybe a bit shorter. There was a flashing light almost to tell him that he needed to... So it was like a disco light all of a sudden that would come on for sort of five or six seconds and you could see him look up and think, OK, I'm, I'm, I'm either behind or ahead or I need to slow down or I need to pick up the pace or drop into something else. It was quite interesting. And and then the guy I went to see afterwards, he started his... So he, there was a bit of kind of... And I hate the word banter, but there was a bit of conversation with, with the audience before he started. And he was like, right, let's, let's go. And he, he literally started his watch at that point. I will just finish on Catherine and say that... I, I wouldn't be surprised if she won Best Newcomer in terms of the awards. I think they're now called the LastMinute.com Awards, but they, to me they'll always be known as the Perrier Awards, which are awards handed out for Best Newcomer and Best Overall. Comedian here in, in the past have been won by people like Russell Kane and Daniel Kitson and, you know, a lot of really talented comedians. So I'm going to make a bit of a song and dance about the, the thing I went to see next, which was Brennan Reese uh, and his, his show Everlong which is kind of based around, loosely based, it's, it's essentially a love story. Uh, so he uses the vehicle of, of rom-com films, essentially, to narrate his way through. It's a very, they're very loosely threaded through. And I won't give anything away, and I think you've changed your mind. I've persuaded you to sack off something to go and yeah. see this. Because yesterday, because we're, we're not at the same sort of venues, and we're, all, we're seeing all different shows, but... Uh... Yeah, like like we occasionally sort of WhatsApp each other about what we're up to and everything. And you were proper raving about him. You're like, oh my god, like this is like the best thing, and I'll be shocked if it doesn't win like the Perry or everything. I was thinking, and and like the thing is, like like your it takes it takes a bit to impress you, and you were sort of raving about it. It'll be fascinating to see actually, because as we keep saying on this pod, humor is subjective. So it'll be interesting to see if you have the same sort of reaction. And it's you know for forty five fifty minutes, it's funny, 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 and then all of a sudden it just takes this turn and I, I won't give any more away but it just and it leaves you it's almost like you don't really know what's happening it's all planned but you just you're like wow and you feel uncomfortable and you feel the atmosphere changes I mean I just thought it was absolutely sensational and and, the, and part of the reason why I think it was sensational was that three weeks ago he didn't have a show he had a venue and he had a slot and a time and he did he had nothing he had absolutely nothing written no idea so to be able to write a show that nuanced and, you know, having been here in years past and seen Daniel Kitson show the year he won the Perrier and the way that they just brought in nuanced elements, it's not just straight observational stand-up, all of a sudden just something happens and you're like, wow, this is the thought and the, the ability to be able to do this and change the pace completely of what's happening is a, is a really, um, really impressive. And the thing, it was interesting as well because... It was supposed to start at six, and at 25 past six, everybody was still stood outside, and I was getting quite pissed off with, I don't want to be waiting around, I've got to go and see something else, and I've got to walk two miles to get to it, and 
you know, I need to, I want to just grab a cup of coffee on the way. And my coffee grabbing time is now being eliminated by your tardiness, essentially. Where was it? Uh, uh, so it was in the Pleasance. It was the Pleasance well, upstairs. Well, the, the only reason I ask is I was rushing to something, uh, another gig, and I was walking past there. And a fire alarm went off. Oh, well, that's what they said. They said there was yeah. a fire in the in the previous show, which is, okay, if you're going to make an excuse, that's a fairly <laughs> decent one. But, like, 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 when I was walking past and I, and I, saw, I saw the evacuation, I was thinking, fuck, like, like everything's so tightly scheduled. Like, how are all the shows going to have a knock-on effect for the rest of the night? You didn't think, fuck, it's Cy in there. That, was, that wasn't your first thought. <laughs> I, I, my first thought is, is Cy on fire? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. I'm glad you got my back. <laughs> Fucking bastard. Anyway, so yeah, that was an absolutely, I mean, again, I wouldn't be surprised if he was nominated for the Perrier or the lastminute.com award or whatever it's called. It's a very, very, very strong show. And very he's, strong and show. he's quite a young lad as well. Yeah, I mean, he's a baby-faced kind of man. I mean, I wrote a non-review review for the website, which you can see on joe.co.uk. He looks about 22. I think he's probably older. He's, um, he's from Stockport. He's the sort of guy that you think if your daughter brought him home, you'd be like, I'm all right with this. I'm all right. He's not. A, he's not an animal. Yeah. He's not a lads, lads, lads. Yeah. He's just a gentle wallflower, which is you know meant in the nicest possible terms. And then finally, I went to see Reginald D. Hunter, who is a comedian I'm a huge fan of, and I've seen quite a number of times. And it was a proper laugh out loud, typical, you know, just somebody who gets what makes people laugh, and he does it in that soft sort of Georgian drawl that he has. But it was interesting because. For the very first time, he seemed vulnerable and he apologised. He came on stage and apologised and said, you know what, I've not been very good the last couple of nights and I'm not really sure where I am with this. And it felt like a work in progress, even though it wasn't a work in progress. And it felt a bit shambolic at times, I think. He sort of went down alleyways and then sort of forgot what he was saying. But in terms of actual delivery of gag or story, it's not really gags, it just absolutely nailing each particular story but the getting there was quite a difficult path for him um and, and a couple of times throughout he apologized and said you know i'm struggling here i'm not you know if you've seen me a few times over the years you might be thinking what's up with reg and I, i'm not really sure essentially what he's trying to do is he, he's recently discovered that he's father to a sort of 17 18 year old daughter and he's trying to become a father to her and teach her about him and how he goes about doing that all the time struggling with his own relationship with his late mother who died recently. They didn't particularly have a great relationship. So he's trying to mend after death, I suppose, the relationship with his mother whilst trying to build a relationship with this girl who's just discovering that he's there. And I think whilst it makes for great comedy, I'm not sure it's actually making for a great life for him. If that, you know, that gets quite deep, but... Yeah, I mean, I mean the way you were describing it, it, it felt like... It felt like less of a sort of like fully formed show and more like you were witnessing real life. Yeah, absolutely. That It did feel like that at times. And he finishes, and we talked about this last night because and earlier on, he finishes on a very controversial moment and he makes the point beforehand that, you know, all of you here are expecting a little bit of controversy because that's what I do. But if some of you have sometimes been offended by certain things and have thought, ooh, that's not for me, then it's time for you to leave. Now, nobody did leave, and there was about 600 people there. But he tells a story, he has seen, and I'm not giving anything away by saying that he finds it's a dream scenario, and he finds himself on a boat, essentially above the UK, because everywhere is flooded, and there's a rumour that Iceland is still above water. And he's on this boat with Nigel Farage, OJ Simpson, who is his hero, Katie Hopkins, Katie Price and her son Harvey, and Bill Cosby. And... 
there's a very, very controversial end to this joke, of which I suspect 200 people in the crowd gasped, probably 300 laughed out loud, and maybe 100 were sort of, I'm not really sure whether I should gasp, laugh, or get up and walk out. And it was almost, I mean, he didn't drop the mic, but it was that kind of, the payoff off stage. It was like, you know, you either like it or you don't. But it was fascinating to see that was the one kind of cruel joke, the one kind of really controversial joke that I've seen here at the Fringe. But overall, it was a terrific show in terms of the delivery of gags. It was a slightly uncomfortable watch at times just because it felt like it was a man sort of not having a breakdown, but, you know, having a bit of trouble in his 50th year, which he's now entering. So, but overall, yesterday for me, a cracking day. Don't know about you, generally, really enjoyed it. Lots of great stuff. Yeah, no, I, I, I had a great, a great day yesterday. Um, I mean, it's interesting what you say about Reginald D. Hunter because uh, occasionally you get the likes of the Daily Mail that sort of will pick up on like an offensive joke or in fact, offensive in quotation marks and uh, sort of say, "Oh, this is outrageous." I think going to like gigs and sort of like watching it all—it's almost like uh, sometimes a comedian seems to build up the collateral to do the joke, like in the context of the show. That's a great point it makes total sense and, and they've almost earned the right to make the joke. But also they've earned the right to make it throughout their career in a way. Absolutely. And uh, and, and again, like, like similar points to that, like I think it's absolutely possible for two comedians to make their same joke in isolation and for one, one version to be offensive and another version not, just because the person it's coming from, what their beliefs are, and and and, and how they how they deliver it, and and what context it's in, and and I think that's really important. Like when when you do hear about jokes being offensive by certain sort of uh, media outlets, it's really unfair to just take that out of of like an hour show because you don't know what what's been around it. Right, pick one show you're seeing today that you are excited about. I'll start. Alex Edelman. I've heard lots of very interesting things about and Alex has done a piece for us which you can read on joe.co.uk a very interesting piece a very thoughtful piece but I'm very much looking forward to seeing him at some stage today I think it's about six o'clock well you you've slightly fucked up my day because you've said uh, that Reese was so good so so I'm looking forward to him now but it'll be interesting to see tomorrow if you turn around and say I just didn't get it <laughs> but that will that in itself will cause an interesting yeah. discussion about what you know an existential discussion listeners about uh, about why I like something and you didn't or vice versa yeah. but no no definitely and, and also I'm going to go and see Kate Berlant Berlant okay. um she's an American comic she's been on like uh, Conan and uh, a lot of like these American shows and like she's uh, she's meant to be really, really funny. So uh, she's one of these big comedians that's come over for, I think, her first Fringe. So, so I'm really looking forward to that as the, as the last show I go and see. Excellent. And in the, the second part of our running theme of if we had an Edinburgh show, what would we call it? Today's show would be called Who's Nicked the Fucking Halloumi? <laughs> yeah. I love my, <laughs> I love my meat. And I totally respect the vegan ultras and everything. I'm, I'm really, I really respect what they're doing. But like, I, I really like meat. But is it was it is it Plants Courtyard? Pleasant Courtyard. Yeah. yeah. Th- there's a place that does like a really nice uh, halloumi burger, and like, I can't have any of the meat because it's got to be halal. So, so I, I had that first day, and it was min. And and I mean, last night, like, I said to like me and Simon were surrounded by like all these food places, like. In a particular, in, a, in, a, in a, I think the Assembly Square was yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. I, I said to Sai, like, let's leave here and go all the way to over there just so I could have a halloumi burger. And I got there and, it, and, and there's no halloumi. I was like, where's your, where's your planning? 
<laughs> it was like 10 past midnight or some shit when we turned out, but nevertheless. Anyway, thank you for listening. Uh, you can download episode one from the place where you get all your podcasts. Don't forget, you can check out our non-review reviews on joe.co.uk, our other podcasts, Unfiltered and Boys Don't Cry with Russell Kane. The new episode came out yesterday. And Adam Rose video series, which will also be on the website. That's it for us today. We're off to go and see about 640 different shows. The rain seems to have stopped, which is great news uh, here in Morningside. So we shall, uh, we shall attack the day. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>